TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's 612 on a Saturday evening, 81 degrees. Uh, Esme Murphy along with Sloan Martin in our newsroom, Shaletta Brundage at the controls. Uh, Eric Nelson hanging out here. You're welcome to stay, Eric, but you Esme, don't have to. <laughs> I got to listen to that opening segment. <laughs> anyway. Um, folks, very busy scenes downtown. They've got a number of roads blocked off, which I guess is the classic road construction scene. I will tell you, though, that there is a, a pretty big police scene uh, just a few blocks from the Target Center or Target Field, excuse me, uh, in back of some of the parking ramps. Uh, I talked to my colleagues over at WCCO Television, and uh, they believe it is some kind of a shooting, but there are some streets that are blocked off. Uh, basically along 10th Street, uh, which is kind of, again, near Target Field. So if we get an update on that, we will let you know. Hopefully people are uh, going to be okay. Uh, a lot going on downtown with the Pride Festival. You've got that going on in Loring Park. I think people are also gearing up for that big parade. It's one of the biggest parades in the entire country. So a lot of people excited about that. Um, we have got uh, a lot going on here on this show. We're going to talk with my friend Dennis Larson. Uh, he is the guy who gets to decide what new fa- food is going to be at the state fair. Now, when you think of the kinds of jobs you could possibly have in this world, I think that's got to rank right up there. And I think people think that, you know, the fair people, they only work two weeks out of a year. That's not true. They work year round. But he's the guy who is sort of the gatekeeper. And we'll talk to him about, you know, how some of these new fairs foods got in. You may have seen it in the Star Tribune or you might have heard it on WCCO Radio or WCCO TV. But he'll tell you the process for actually getting into the fair. It's a little bit of luck. You have to have something that's a little different. And you usually have to kind of go to the minor leagues. It's kind of like you know, baseball or, you know, any, any, anything like that where you got to start out small at some of these small county fairs and have a track record there. So we'll talk to him about that because I know a lot of people, sometimes people think, well, gosh, I've got that one recipe that might, maybe I could be a hit at the fair. And most, most places are not a hit at the fair, but then you've got people like who are juggernauts, obviously like Sweet Martha's Cookies. Uh, we're also going to talk about, um, a new prototype. Uh, for at the Animal Humane Society uh, that is kind of eliminating some of the cages there. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the dangers. And I think a lot of people don't know about this. Do you know that some plants can be deadly or very dangerous to your pets? And if they, by any chance, eat them, you could either end up with a, a very sick animal uh, and a very large pet bill, uh, vet bill rather. So um, that is definitely coming up. Um, we've got all kinds of things coming up in this show, but we're going to take a break first. And then we're going to be joined by Dennis Larson. He is the uh, licensed administration manager with the Minnesota State Fair. It's 619 in the Twin Cities, 81 degrees. Well, it is that time of year to actually be talking about 
the great Minnesota get-together, and it's really not that far away. And I love chatting uh, at least once a year with Dennis Larson. He is the Licensed Administration Manager. I don't think I ever knew that that was your official title. Uh, is that right, uh, Dennis? Yeah, it's, it's not that much fun, but that's my exact title. Well, yes. but well, I was just saying that your job, I mean, after all these years, it still has to be a fun job. Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's truly a labor of love, yes. Right. All right. What are some of the ones, and you actually get to taste a, a bunch of these new foods. What are some of the ones that, that kind of really uh, hit a home run with you? Well, it was interesting. Some of them that we don't quite understand. We don't get to sample or don't try to sample them all. It's just not realistic. But, uh, I mean, it's something as simple as smoky ice cream. I mean, who'd have thought you could have or would want to have a smoke flavored ice cream? And so we had to, we had them bring in some, some samples. And it was really kind of fun and had a distinctive smoky flavor to it. So, and, and we say smoky, well. I mean, is it like barbecue or, well, help, help me out here. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more like, uh, think of it more like a, a burnt marshmallow when you're making a s'more. <laughs> right, okay. So, yeah. Um, I also saw the rainbow cloud roll, which is sort of rainbow ice cream wrapped in what looks like pillows of cotton candy. It, it looks so decadent I could just dive into it. Yeah, if you can say sugar fix, I guess, yeah, absolutely. And it's the, the classic rainbow snow cones that have been, or ice cream, I should say, that have been on the fairgrounds for, gosh, 80 years now or so. And they'll have three scoops of those uh, coated in uh, 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 sugared candy. Wow. <laughs> and then rolled in a pillow or a bed of uh, cotton candy. So, yeah, maybe just about enough sugar, if not a little too much. Huh? It, it, well, Never too much. Um, one of the things that, that I looked at and I thought – and I, I am a big sushi fan, but then I thought, gosh, you know, I mean that that's hard to get, you know, raw fish out at the state fair. Cafe Carib, which is a wonderful, wonderful place, uh, they are actually going to have a poke bowl, which is has, you know, raw tuna in it. How do you make sure that everything is, is you know – sanitary and healthy, and what kinds of standards do you have? Because that must be an ongoing process. Absolutely, yeah. Every, every, every all 300 locations on the fairgrounds are just like a mini restaurant. They're all, they all go through a pre-fair um, scrutiny by the Department of Health, Department of Ag, and are inspected thoroughly in at least one, if not two more follow-up inspections. And they are all pros. And uh, uh, Joel and his crew, he used to, his day, he's retired now, but used to do his day job was he was in the restaurant business. So very well aware of what's needed. And uh, yeah, a little bit of a not, not typical fair food by any means. <laughs> right. But, you know, I think I'm sure it's going to be, you know, really, really appealing and people will like it. Let me ask you, what is the process? I mean, let's say somebody's out there and they've got just the killer food that they uh, bring to all the parties and just everybody loves it. Yeah. Is that is that enough? What does it take to get into the Minnesota State Fair? Cause, and, and I know not everything is a, a huge success. Right, and exactly, and it's it's not that simple. And I sometimes wish it was. I feel like we've we we kind of lost our opportunity to become the place to experiment or be an incubator because it really does take a level of professionalism, both health wise and from a, the standpoint of being able to offer that amount of food to that many people. You have to have had a lot of practice before you come there. So uh, some of the new people, even you know, they've got a pretty good background and have at least done it at a lot of smaller fairs and festivals to work their way up to to then come to the state fair and uh, uh, and that's that's the real the bottom line right and so so you actually want people to have proven experience in yeah. at, at a state fair 
Yeah, or, or, or I mean, sorry, it's a, or a county fair, perhaps. Exactly. Uh, call it grand old days, festivals, farmers markets, things of that sort. We we can't, we just can't let you experiment or practice at the state fair. It's just too big. <laughs> You'll get run over. <laughs> but but isn't there? Aren't there very few um, actual real openings every year? I mean, a lot of these new foods <laughs> are established vendors that really have been, you know. Delivering year after year. Yeah, as we know, it's, it's very lucrative, and it's been around in some cases for two or three generations, and uh, they do a really good job, and not too many of them leave it behind them. So we don't have many openings this year. We have basically three, and uh, Midtown Global Market, uh, that opens up that every couple of years or so, we bring in somebody new, so that gives us somebody to kind of rotate through there, and that gave us the opportunity for the uh, uh, the, the new folks in there. All right. In terms of, of the process, so you, you, somebody says, "Okay, well, um, Dennis, I've got I've got a track record. I've been at the uh, you know Anoka County Fair for the past four or five years. Do they then have to submit their product to you? I mean, do you do a taste test? It could come down to a taste test if we needed to. Didn't quite understand what it was. If it's a, just another corn dog operator, then we pretty much know what a corn dog is, but we want to bring them in because we have an opening for that type of an operation. But yeah, and most of the foods here, of course, are from incumbents, people that are already there. But as far as the brand new people, yeah, we have an open registration process. Doesn't cost anything to register your interest with us and to tell us exactly who you are. And the biggest stumbling block is equipment nowadays because we the fair doesn't have any equipment. You kind of have to have your own trailer or your own operation. Our food building sometimes will rarely, but this, this year there was just one opening in there, and it's kind of where you can do a build out and not have to, you know, build a building or build a new trailer is really the only opportunity for somebody new to come in if they don't have the equipment to work out of. Uh, in terms of, of the application process, when does it actually start? I mean, does it start, you know, the day after the fair shuts down in September? Well, we do take registrations all year. We never tell anybody no, but we do tell them that if they register now, they probably won't be in, or they won't be in the running for this year's fair because all the selections have been made. We always encourage them to apply in October right after this year's fair. And then the registration you know, are, is always open, and uh, we start reviewing them right after the first of the year based on space available. Okay. The registration is kept on for three years. We look at it for three years, three fairs once they register, so they don't have to re-register every year. And sometimes it takes two or three cycles of that. People have registered for two or three year cycles, and sometimes it's 10 or 12 years before the right spot happens to open up for that product for that operation. And is it, if you do have a fabulous corn dog that's done well at, at county fairs, do you, is that sort of a, an automatic no because there are so many other corn dog vendors? Well, occasionally we are bringing in something new like that, say if one goes away, and that's the first thing that has to happen that I don't have control over or nor does the operation, is uh, a space has to become available. So say a corn dog operator does go away, then we decide do we still need to continue corn dog operators or do we want to, is this an opportunity to bring in something new? So it's all about, you know, uh, I say all the fair stars need to be aligned at the same time. The right space open, looking for the right product, and that's when you'll be on the short list to be considered for that location. Right, because, I mean, and, and people are so creative. I mean, the Moroccan sausage bowl from Sausage yeah. by Cynthia. I mean, <laughs> it's amazing. How imaginative some of these yeah. veteran vendors are. I mean, it looks it looks amazing. And then there, there's the combination, which I also love, of, of the savory and the sweet. Are you looking for sort of a mixture of that, or is it just got to be something that that pops? Exactly. We and, and like with uh, the Moroccan sausage bowl, and Cynthia's been there for years as a custom sausage maker, and she had something different this year that we didn't quite have before, and served in a bowl. Uh, somewhat different. We like opportunities and we have gluten-free or allergen-free or like the French medic right. came up with the uh, 
the, the, the gluten-free uh, vegan, um, you know, chicken, earthlings. Who would have thought that you could have something like that? But yet a, a very good product in a different genre, and it helps, you know, right. serve a smaller, a small but loyal audience. Right, and, and, and I guess these folks really must work on I mean, I'm looking at the Mancini's uh, al fresco, the messy Giuseppe sandwich yeah. with a blend of seasoned ground beef and Italian pork sausage smothered in marinara, sprinkled with Parmesan cheese and served on a crusty Italian bread. Wow, wow, wow. The, yeah. and the Mancini's yeah. knows how to hit it out of the park, and so does O'Gara's. I mean, they all have just such, you know, amazingly creative things. What, what, percentage, um, what percentage of the foods or, or new vendors don't make it? Or, or, I mean, you said you only had three openings. I mean, it, it, does sometimes a, a, a new food bomb or... Yeah, occasionally we, we we're hoping that uh, the expression I use as may say have legs, it'll be here, not have just legs. in the pan, or you know, a media darling for the year and then gone. Uh, we hope it'll be around. Uh, we we don't require them to run it for three years, but we hope they do and not give up after the first year if it uh, happens to not turn out too well. But uh, at any given time, like this year, we're bringing in five new vendors. We have about 470 registrations on file. So the odds are not, from the sheer number standpoint, aren't very good. But you never know. I might have the right opening at the right time for that in a few months because I had the right space for that product at that time, and she had had some experience. As far as the food coming from, from existing people, we had just over 70 registrations this year for new foods that people had some very creative ideas. But we just can't do 70 new foods. They weren't truly all, all new for one thing. And uh, we had to kind of whittle the list down, or it would be kind of daunting. It would be hard to to even have a conversation about 70 people turned up to talk about 27. <laughs> right, right. And, and it, it is, and you know, you, you mentioned, because I've heard you talk about the tipsy pies again, yeah. and it wasn't that the thing where they had, it was sort of an, an unusual, and they're very good, but they didn't yeah. need a big space and they didn't need to cook it there, right? Wasn't that it? No, your memory is spot on. Exactly. Two years ago, we had an opening in the food building, and it happened to be a space that didn't have Ansel system hoods and so on and so forth. And all she had to do was bake and heat up her pies, so it worked out there, and she didn't need a real big space. But speaking of her, she's getting expanded this year and going to a bigger space in the food building. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, But but that was just, I mean, that was sort of, you know, obviously she had the right product, but it it was a bit of luck that, that that was exactly the opening that you could accommodate. You couldn't have needed something. You couldn't, anybody who needed a stove or, or cooking equipment, that would have worked. And that's why she moved to the head of the list because she had that right product. Again, all the stars being aligned, she had the right product for the right space at the right time and got in. Whereas somebody else doing hot dogs and potato chips, I may never need that. They may be registered right. for 20 years before they get in. So exactly those two extremes. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, that's very cool. And, and the first day of the fair is when now? I think we're the 23rd this year. August wow. It's going to speak up on here, I think, about 60 days or so. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, listen, Dennis, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. I'm sure these new food, these new fair foods are going to be fabulous, although I always go back to my classics and then try one or two of the new ones. But uh, Most people do. You're I know. Right. My, my corn, I just, I just can't live without the corn. That's that's my, my personal favorite. And also, you know something? John Hines turned me on to the hot dogs Right next to, I can't remember the name of the stand. It's right next to, opposite the WCCO TV building. Those are just the best hot dogs I've ever had. And I'm not really a big hot dog person, but hey, it's the state <laughs> fair. You got to live. Well, Absolutely. Listen, Dennis, thank Absolutely. you so much. We really appreciate it. Glad you. I love to talk about it. Okay, Thanks. T- take care. You Dennis bet. Larson, folks, from the Minnesota State Fair. 60 days. Going to get ready. All right, well, we're going to take a break. We're going to give you some weather, folks, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk. It is 81 degrees at uh, 636 here six, uh, in the Twin Cities. Uh, yes, 636. I, the clock there in front of me is wrong. It's not 627. 
Uh, anyway, uh, I have some updates here about a wonderful organization, the Animal Humane Society, and they have made some changes here. Uh, and it's really something of an experiment, but they're very, very excited about it. It's, it's a wonderful organization. They are in a number of communities. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with is actually pretty close to where I live in Golden Valley. And it's just a wonderful organization, and their whole goal is uh, protecting animals, uh, making uh, animals, finding them new homes, taking care of them, uh, making sure that there is sort of a union between new owners and animals and that animals that are not in safe homes can be protected. And Janelle Dixon is the Animal Humane Society CEO, and she is joining us right now. Hey, Janelle. Hi, Esme. Well, listen, tell us about this because, you know, uh, my friend Mary Tan, who uh, does your public relations, is, is so excited about this and, and really the, the, the potential here. And I guess anybody going to the Animal Humane Society could probably get a look, right? Yeah, uh, it opened to the public this week, so anybody visiting can go in and, and experience it. So it's very exciting for us. We are uh, Habitat Prototype. We're testing group housing for dogs. Dogs are very social. Um, and pack animals, and in most shelters, they live or are in a kennel by themselves, and the um, habitat allows them to really spend most of their time with a small group of dogs, four to six dogs, and they have um, enrichment, uh, play balls, um, different height things that they can walk on, they can look out the window, a whole host of things, and they play with each other, and, um, and then when they need downtime, to sleep or for eating, they each have their own little that they that they go into. That's their kind of safe individual space. Okay. Now, so uh, we're super excited about it. And so far, how's it working? It has been amazing. Um, it, you know, it was a big transition, right? Because you're used to everybody being separate um, for many years. Shelters didn't even think about doing this because they were worried about fighting uh, or fighting or spread of disease, and we just really haven't seen that to speak of. Um, it's been um, it's been really fantastic. Now, I, uh, and I know you you have a tremendous track record of, of uh, adopting pets out. And yeah. I would think, though, when people come in and they see a dog interacting with other dogs, and, and a happier dog, that that makes that dog even more appealing. Yes, it does. Um, so this is really about how do we provide the best environment for a dog during a stay with us? Um, and we're testing all kinds of things, numbers of animals that fit together, the lighting, all of all, just everything. And, um, and then what's the experience for the people who come in to visit and what's the experience for employees and volunteers? And even just now, people come in, like we had a couple come in, they were looking, they'd seen a dog online. Um, and then they saw the dogs playing, and when they met the dogs that they had seen online, it wasn't quite the right fit, and then they went back, and they're like, we want to see that dog, because they saw that dog having so much fun and being so good with the other dogs, and they ended up adopting it and taking it home. Oh, that's so cool. Um, that's, that's yeah. So cool. And is is anybody, because this, this sounds like, like all great ideas, it, it's kind of like, well, gee, well, why didn't we think of this earlier? I mean, are other shelters doing this around the country? Uh, not that we're aware of. We visited 15 other organizations around the country, and nobody is um, has really done group housing. It's um, They have upgraded from your standard kennel to rooms that a dog lives in with some toys and a, a chair or a piece of furniture, but no one's really done 
this. And wow. so we're excited about it for us and to help um, lead the way nationally for the way shelters might think about um, sheltering animals. That's so cool. Now, uh, you know, I just, I've got a kid that's going to college and we've got the roommate picking out and all this kind of stuff. I mean, do, do you, you must have to sort of look at the groups of dogs and think which dog will work with which dog. I mean, how, how do you go through yeah. that process? So before we, well, while we were building the habitat, the staff started working on what characteristics are we seeing in the dogs that, that come to us that we think might work really well together. And then they started testing groups of dogs. And, um, and that's part of our learning process, frankly, is since no one's done it and we haven't done it, we're learning all the things and documenting, um, all of the things that we learn about the process of selecting what happens when a dog isn't doing well, what kinds of behaviors to look for, um, what kinds of materials work. So, example, we are trying, the, we have the six cubbies and we're trying different locking systems on those cubbies so the dogs can't get in and out freely. Um, and we found that one of the locks, the dogs can open it, right? So we know <laughs> that's not I had a dog like that future. once, yes. Yeah, yeah. So that lock doesn't work. And the important thing about this is we're looking to scale this in a new facility. And so this is helping us learn helping us make the mistakes now so that we can understand what those are and really use resources, steward those the best, and build the wow. right thing when we're doing it in a scaled way in a larger space. Wow. I, I can't wait to get over there and see it. it, it just uh, We've had like a pretty busy news cycle, but I really do want to see it because I do think it sounds like such a... I mean, once again, you, you're, you're emphasizing the humane in the Animal yes. Humane Society, and it just yes. it, it's obviously logical that, that, that these animals, which are very social animals, would, would be happier with friends. I mean, who wouldn't be? You know what? They are, and you can see it. And the people who work there are like, it just, uh, you know, we see dogs all the time, and you just stop. You're drawn into watching them. We ended up setting up a bunch of chairs outside the habitat because people just want to sit and watch. Oh, that's great. That is so yeah. cool. Yeah. So so how many, how many dogs are in each group, or does it vary by group? Uh, we try to put six dogs in a group. Um, and then what happens is as they get adopted, um, the group gets smaller, and I I, I'm not sure what the number is, but I think that when it gets down to two, then they introduce a new um, grouping of dogs so that, you know, we try and keep a nice sized group to play together in there. Right. And, and yeah. you know, why don't you, you know, let people know, and I'm, I'm sure you always have a lot of animals, uh, but, but let people know. Um, you know, how they can contact you? Because I think sometimes people think of just Golden Valley, but you're in other communities as well, and, and how people yeah. can reach you. So if people go to our um, website, www.animalhumanesociety.org, they can find, um, it's it's just Animal Humane Society, and we happen to have four locations. They can find all of the animals that are available for adoption, um, and also they can get access to our call line, and it's a central call line that supports all four facilities to find information. But the website is a great place to go, and we're on all social media platforms, and people can um, stay in touch with us and see what's going on by watching social media as well. All right, and let me ask you about cats, because I know there are a lot of cat lovers out there. Would yep. this work for mm-hmm. cats? So, you know, the good thing for cats is that we're already ahead of dogs. Uh, most of our cats live in colonies, not all of them, but many of them. Oh, okay. And so one of the things that we'll be working on is how to better enrich those colonies as well. So um, some cats will be in individual um, cubbies, but generally um, either the colony room is, rooms are full or they just don't do well with a grouping of other cats. 
Uh, but most of the cats live in groups of two to six. Um, and we'll eventually be working on how to more highly enrich their colony space as well. So in a new facility is an example. We're planning to have indoor-outdoor space for cats, wow. um, natural grass, things like that, that cats really love. And it's really all about how do we play to the natural behaviors and the natural habitats that support um, animals in their traditional lives out of a shelter and have that available for them in a shelter. Well, it's very cool, Janelle. I have got to get over there and look at it because I want to do yes. a story for TV so people can see this. But it just Excellent. it just sounds like such such a really cool thing and so much better for the animals and then so much better for all the families trying to come and, and adopt uh, because exactly. they can see them interacting you know, with other dogs and pets. Uh, as it's well as, very fun. It's to very see fun. The whole family in the room with all the dogs. It's that, great. Okay, that's so cool. Thank yeah. you, Janelle. Thanks, Esme. Okay. That is Janelle uh, Dixon with the Animal Humane Society. Now, coming up, we are going to uh, talk with uh, Dr. Angelica Dimmock, I believe is the the way she pronounces her uh, name, about the dangers that some plants pose to pets. Uh, This can be a very big vet bill, and the doctor is going to walk us through that. So keep it right here. We have to take a quick break. Hello there, Esme Murphy with you. Uh, just uh, talking with uh, Janelle Dixon at the Animal Humane Society. She's the CEO. Uh, she was just telling us about a new system they have for group housing of dogs. It sounds so cool. I can't wait to get over there and check it out uh, because it sounds like a really a more humane way of dealing with all these pets that, that desperately need homes. But I was talking to my friend Mary Tan uh, who works over at the Animal Humane Society, and she said, Esme, do you know that some plants can be very hazardous to pets? And she was telling me about person she knows whose cat ate a certain flower and there was a $1,500 vet bill. Dr. Angelica Dimmock is a veterinarian and she's going to clue us in on this. Uh, Dr. Angelica Dimmock, I did not know this was a problem. Yes, unfortunately it is. Uh, There are some plants and flowers, both indoor and outdoor plants, that can cause a lot of problems in our little pets. What What are some of the biggest culprits because Mary was telling me a story about somebody who brought I think it was a lotus flower as a gift and the Mm -hmm. cat ate the lotus flower and almost died. Yes Uh, so lotus and uh, Easter lilies are another one with cats that can cause uh, organ failure and death in in animals or in cats I should say Uh, so yeah it's not something that we mess around with when we hear that if a cat has eaten certain plants. And is it is it only cats? No, um, uh, there are plants that are toxic to other um, other species. So even horses have their own uh, toxic plants. Really? Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know much about horses, so I'm not going to get into the details about that one. But for <laughs> dogs and cats, uh, um, we have some like the yew trees and uh, you know uh, that can cause organ failure. But a lot of plants are kind of more in the medium to moderate uh, toxicity that might just cause some vomiting, diarrhea, uh, maybe some ulcers in the mouth. Um, Plants like ivies, uh, daisies, and tulips and stuff like that can cause those kind of irritations. Uh, So it's... They're all over the place. Wow. Okay. Now, let me ask you, are animals attracted to these plants? Because I I know, like, for instance, with chocolate, uh, we had a a bad chocolate incident with one of our dogs. And and actually, they told us that because we had bought the cheap 
chocolate and it had a lot of wax in it, we were better than if we'd bought the really fancy Godiva chocolate bunny, <laughs> Easter bunny, we, we, the dog might have been in serious trouble. But are, are, the, are, the, are the pets drawn to these flowers and plants? Do they want to eat them? Well, I, I don't think so most of the times, especially with cats. They're not an animal that really like to investigate with their mouth. But they do like to chew on grass, so sometimes when they see a leafy green in their house, they're going to try to chew on it, too. Um, Dogs are a little bit more adventuresome in what they put in their mouths, so they're the ones you kind of have to watch a little closer. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, each plant has a different part that's toxic, so one could be the stem, the next plant could be the bulb or the the leaf of the, the plant. So knowing what plant uh, your dog or cat has gotten into is what's key. We need to know, like, if if you don't know, take a picture, send it to your vet, they'll figure it out. Um, And uh, and that's how we know if if we're going to be in trouble or not. And then also how much they ate is another thing. Um, You know, a little tiny bite of a leaf might not cause a problem, but if they ate three-fourths of the plant, that could be a problem. Wow. Okay. And, and is is it more prevalent with cats? Well, uh, not necessarily. Um, I think cats. You just hear more about cats because of the of the Easter lilies issue, because that is very common. And I usually just tell people, just don't bring lilies into your house if you have a cat. Lilies really? of any kind. It's just easier not to to deal with it. There's, you know, many species of lilies, and not all of them are toxic, but some are, and it's just not worth it. Um, and uh, and but I think, like in 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 the house, cats are more prone to getting to where the plants are because if they're up on a shelf, that's fair game for a cat. Dogs can't get to it, um, so I think that's why we see more cats getting toxicities um, from indoor plants. Outdoor plants is usually probably more dog um, is it, just because they're out there. And what are some of the outdoor, outdoor plants that, that are bad for dogs? Sure. Uh, so some of the really major ones that can cause a lot of issues would be elderberries, like the berry. Oh, yeah. I mean, humans, humans know not to eat them, but dogs don't. Um, so that's, uh, that, can be, uh, that can cause death if they ate enough of them. Yew trees even are, are highly toxic. Uh, luckily, most dogs don't want to chew on them, so that's good. Um, if you have a lot of yews in your, in your yard, it might just be best to kind of block it off from the dog if you have a dog that likes to chew on weird things or, well, you know, you know those. <laughs> I guess those I do have a dog dogs. that likes to chew on weird yeah. things, like namely my yeah. shoes, but yeah. he's a puppy. Oh, okay. well, <laughs> The other one that is actually quite common around here are fruit trees. Uh, so apple seeds um, contain cyanide in them, a very small amount of cyanide. Apple um, trees? And if apple, yeah, the apple. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so if it, in the seed has, you know, that, that very small amount of cyanide, if the seed is intact and the dog eats it, there's no problem. But if the seed is cracked you know, from being damaged from the fall or birds or from the dog chewing on the seed, it could release the cyanide. Now, one seed is not going to kill a dog, but if you had a little dog that likes to forage a lot and has eaten a lot of these seeds, uh, you know, over many days, that could cause cyanide poisoning. Wow, okay. That can be quite dramatic. Also, uh, trees, the fruit 
fruit that has pits, so like cherries and plums, you know, those kind of fruits, uh, those, the pits have cyanide in them too. And so if they get cracked and they get swallowed, they can cause cyanide poisoning as well if they get enough of them. Uh, those pits could also cause uh, uh, a bowel blockage. I've actually had to surgically remove pits from oh my gosh. intestines. And so I, I, I imagine the, that's a costly procedure. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so the easiest thing with those fruit trees is just keeping the ground clean. So just picking right. up the old fruit and right. or just not having your dogs near it. Wow. Okay. Well, that that is yeah. good to know. I was not aware of that. And uh, yeah. excellent advice. Uh, a lot of people do have fruit trees uh, in their mm-hmm. yards. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Angelica Dimick. Uh, great advice. I, I was not aware of some of these things, and I've owned uh, dogs here for years. So uh, we appreciate your time this evening. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, coming up, a lot more ahead here on News Radio 830 WCCO. We are going to visit with Gordon Chang. He is an author and columnist at the Daily Beast. He's one of the leading experts on North Korea. And I've had him on. I've interviewed him a number of times. He really is a a brilliant man. I'd like to know what he thinks of sort of the latest developments with North Korea and and the president. Obviously, the president was here in Duluth just a few days ago talking about it. I'm going to ask Gordon Chang about that. So keep it here at News Radio 830 WCCO. product as I did for sure is Tipsy Pies a couple years. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.